In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Now I want to start with a question this evening. When was the last time you remember waiting eagerly for something? Oh, come on. It couldn't have been that long ago. It could have been. It's not graduation. Eagerly, joyfully, waiting for something happily. Okay, that's a good one. Anybody else? Nobody else waits happily. <laughs> but that's what happens, right? As we get older, the waiting gets less and less happy. When we're 10 and it's Christmas Eve, you almost can't stand the waiting, right? It's joyous, so much so that usually your parents, your grandparents, someone is telling you to go lay down and, and get a good night's sleep or else the presents are never going to come, right? But as we get older, it's hard to get as excited about, say, going and waiting at the DMV, right? And all too often, the waiting we're doing is waiting on a result for a test, or waiting on the doctor's office, or waiting at the doctor's office. How many times have you spent an hour at a doctor's office when you should have just been in and out? It's not the same kind of feeling as when you're waiting on Christmas, or you're waiting to graduate high school, right? Happy are they who have the God of Jacob for their help, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Now today we look back at Christ's incarnation, his first appearance, we can have great joy, right? We look at the star, we look at the manger, we look at the animals, the shepherds, the whole of it, and it fills us, well, at least it fills me with hope and joy, right? This is a great time of year. God sends his son into the world. And his son gives justice to those who are oppressed and food to those who hunger. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Justice, food, freeing of those who need to be free, healing those in need, and lifting up the head of everyone who is bound down under that load that we all bear in this broken world. That's joyous news. The song goes on to say, The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord cares for the stranger. He sustains the orphan and widow, but frustrates the way of the wicked. And with his coming, the psalmist says that God loves the righteous, but we do that already. But God's also taking care of the stranger in his land. He's making sure that the widow and the orphan are sustained. And he's frustrating the way of the wicked. When Messiah comes, he'll set the world right. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, throughout all generations. Alleluia. We look back at Christ's first coming with joy. We should be preparing for his return with that same joy. Why? Isaiah writes, The wilderness and dry land will be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it blossoms abundantly and rejoices with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. God promises that through Isaiah that the very word and the very world will be changed in his kingdom, that the deserts will bloom. Now Mount Lebanon was where the great cedars grew, the great cedars that they built the temple with. Mount Carmel is where olives and grapes were growing, and you could go there and see them. In the plain of Sharon, at that time, it was fertile and full of crops, and where there weren't crops, there were forests, and animals were all over the place. You don't get that in the desert. But when Messiah comes, everything will change. Be of courage. God is coming to save you. And then he says, 
The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will, lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. When Jesus comes, it said, people will be healed and prosperity takes over. Both the psalmist and Isaiah knew that the world would change in his coming. Isaiah goes on to say, no lion will there be, nor any ravenous beast to come of it. They shall not be found, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They shall obtain both joy and gladness, in sorrow and sighing flee away. And in the end, Isaiah says that when God comes to save us, he comes to deliver us and heal us and bring us into his kingdom, the kingdom where war is no more, and he'll allow us to live in complete safety. In our gospel we hear, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we waiting on another? Now why does John ask that question here? Last week in our gospel reading, John was talking about the one who's coming with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's talking about the one whose shoe latches he's not worthy to un unbuckle. In between here and there, John baptized Jesus in the River Jordan, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And he heard the voice from heaven proclaiming, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now what happened in the weeks between those events and this week when John's asking his cousin, Are you really him? Now notice Jesus doesn't seem to take offense at these questions. And instead he answers them by saying, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. John respond, Jesus responds to John's questions by telling him that he's fulfilling what Isaiah has been talking about. That Messiah would come and do. In Isaiah 26, 19, it said Messiah would raise the dead. In Isaiah 29, 18, and 19, it says the deaf would hear the word of God and the blind would see. In the Isaiah passage we read this evening, it says what? It says the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. And in Isaiah 61, 1, it says that the good news, the very gospel, will be given to the poor. And then Jesus tells them, blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. What's Jesus trying to tell them and tell John? Now, Stanley Huris, who's the, a professor at Yale, thinks it's because the two cousins are so very different, right? They both follow the law, but John does it with fasting and prayer. John does it dressed like he's Elijah out of the Old Testament. He took a vow not to cut his hair and a vow not to drink strong drinks. He's at the River Jordan, and he's calling everyone, even the most outwardly righteous people, to repentance. And now he's imprisoned the last of the prophets. Meanwhile, Jesus isn't fasting. Jesus is being constantly criticized for eating and drinking with sinners, for turning water into wine, for healing on the Sabbath. Professor Huras wonders if their different approaches to life and the law may have had John wondering, is he really the one God sent? Shouldn't he be more serious like me? And Jesus, thinking of John's statements that he said at the River Jordan of showing works worthy of repentance, he tells John's disciples, go tell John, this is the fruit of what you're seeing, what I'm doing. I'm fulfilling these prophecies. And tell John to take no offense at the way I approach life and the way I approach grace. 
And if, the, if that sounds like a rebuke, he turns to the crowd and says, What did you go out to the river to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, but more than a prophet. The one about whom it's written, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, who prepared the way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, John the Baptist stands as one of those pivotal figures in the story of redemption like Moses, like Abraham, someone who was there when the way that God deals and works with his people change. Before Abraham, there was no covenant. God seems to work with everybody individually. And then Abraham gets made into the family of God, and there's a covenant, and everyone else is eventually brought into his family. Before Moses, there's no law. And then with Moses, the law came. And then with Jesus... God will break the back of sin and death once and forever and brought anyone who has faith in Jesus into his kingdom and into his family. And this is much more joyous news. James this evening writes, Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not grumble against one another, so that you might not be judged. Patience. In the space of those four verses in James, every single verse encourages his reader to have patience. He compares God's people to farmers. He says, listen, farmers know to be patient. You put the seed in the ground at the right time, and if you don't have irrigation, what do you do? You wait for the rain. You have to be patient. But some years, what happens? The rains come early. The rains come late. It doesn't rain enough. It rains too much. In some years, of course, it's just right. The farmer has to have faith that the rains will come and will be the right amounts. But here, we're given a promise of what will happen. We're just waiting on the timing. And while we're waiting, he says to love one another. We have to follow Jesus' example and be gracious to those who love God but are not like us. James tells them not to grumble about each other so that we're not judged as we wait. Now, whether you're solitary or gregarious, whether you're serious or whether you like to joke around, be patient and love those who are not like yourself. James ends by saying, we should be like the prophets and speak in the name of the Lord. And I tell you that that love should go beyond the walls of the church. We should be joyous about what Jesus has done. He saved us from the kingdom of the world and brought us into his kingdom. And God has made us join heirs with Christ. And on his return, we have the promise of both the resurrection of the departed saints, but also the promise that the whole of creation will be transformed. Those words should cause us to invite others to join us in the kingdom of God. Amen.